You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning, good morning. I want to start with this word from Michelle Ruse. If people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. Even if that's internal doubt coming from you, just keep going, keep going until that doubt goes away. And I want to welcome you guys to this Saturday. It's been, it has been cloudy and rainy here where I live for like the last couple of weeks. And thank, thankful for the rain because we certainly need it, especially some places experiencing drought. So I'm, I'm very appreciative. But it's glad to see the sun and the sun shining on this Saturday, August 13th. It's hard to believe it is August. Oh, my God, this year went by so fast, so fast. You guys, there is still time if you have goals and things you told yourself, you promised yourself in January that you were going to do in 2022. There's still time, prayerfully, for you to Get to work. It's not magic. You're going to have to take the steps to get to where you want to be. But there's still time, hopefully, for you to do that. But before I introduce today's guest to you this morning, I want to ask you a question. It's a question I have asked you off the shelf listeners several times. How good of a mystery sleuth are you? I'm telling you, I love Columbo to this day. I like mysteries, and they even tell you on Columbo who did who did it. But it's still so interesting because you get to watch how it happened, how the different people relate to each other, how it was pulled off. And there's another mystery that my brother loves is this TV series. Some people just love a mystery. I love a good mystery. I love to read them. I love to write them. If you like a mystery... And you like a romance, because there's a soulmate relationship in Love for Over Me between Raymond and Brenda and these five friends. Raymond meets at college in Pennsylvania. He is a track phenom on his way to the Olympics. If you value relationships and you love a very good mystery, I would encourage you to get a copy of Love for Over Me by Denise Turney today. You can get it in print. Or an ebook. Again, that's Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. Please go treat yourself. And now, let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. Today's off the shelf guest is Justin Williams. And you want to talk about time? We had initially had him scheduled for January the 15th. And something came up, and we had to had to reschedule. And I'm sitting here when I looked at that, and I said, oh, my goodness, it's August already. I'm telling you, time just doesn't wait, does it? So he is Justin Williams. He is the author of the book, In the Eye of the Father, In the Eye of the Father. He's also the host of the Hidden Gateway podcast, and he has worked in healthcare and in the financial services industries. Uh, a near-death experience that he had when he was younger changed his life. And about his mission, Justin shares that his fundamental belief and one that he works on relentlessly is that all of us can transform ourselves and move beyond all self-imposed limitations. And in developing ourselves, we can initiate change in the world and people around us. And that's something that we will explore on today's show because I know some of us and maybe some of you listeners, you look over your life, you, you may have had a hard start as a child. Some children's parents, mothers are drinking alcohol while they're in the womb and the kid's already coming out in the hole or taking drugs and now the kid's born with an addiction. But he's saying there's a way, there is still a way to transform ourselves despite high, high odds we're born with. So I encourage you to check Justin out online at thehiddengateway.com, and it's spelled the way it sounds, T-H-E-H-I-D-D-E-N-G-A-T-E-W-A-Y.com. We are honored to have Justin join us on Off the Shelf this morning. Let me go bring him on live. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Justin. Hey, thank you so much for having me. How are you doing this morning? 
I'm doing fabulous this morning, and good to have you on here. Hopefully I'm saying your name right, Justin. You are. You are. It's perfect. Okay, good, 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 good. So the first few, first of all, thank you for being on the show. The first few questions I ask every guest so that our listeners can get a little backstory on on our guests. I'm, I'm looking back to 17 years ago when I started off the shelf. I just went right into the questions, and I got emails from listeners don't do that. <laughs> Give us a little backstory on the guest face. So, to kick it off this morning, can you tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Absolutely, and that's a that's a great question. So, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I was uh, born in a little town right outside of Toledo, Ohio, called Sylvania, Ohio, and uh, my parents and I we lived there for maybe about the first six to eight months of my life. And soon uh, after that, right when I was about eight months old, we then moved to Detroit, to the east side of Detroit. Uh, that is because my father worked for General Motors. He was, you know, one of the big three there, obviously, Motor City, right? And my mom, she had a, uh, she then obtained a job in the metro Detroit area as well. So I, I grew up in the metro Detroit area, uh, and we were there. I was there probably for about six years. I was there for about six years. And then after that, uh, my parents separated and then eventually divorced. But like when I was about six years old, we moved to Toledo, Ohio. We moved back to Toledo, Ohio. And I was I was in Toledo for a few years, and we we moved back to Michigan, a little little city called Sterling Heights, Michigan, and uh, pretty much was in in Michigan until I relocated uh, about housed in about 10 years ago. But um, the circling back to your question regarding what, 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 was, what life was like when I grew up, uh, my earliest memories of my childhood were good, you know. For the first few years there, my, my parents did what I consider uh, well for themselves. My, my mom is an educated woman, and she, she always held uh, pretty, pretty good jobs, right? She uh, first worked for the Civil Rights Commission, uh, in, in Toledo when we were born and when I was born, and then she obtained a, a civilian job with the Army. And she was the, the head of the uh, Tank Automotive Command, their, their HR department, right? She was a, what we call an EEO officer, Equal Employment Opportunity Officer. So whenever um, Army, Army employees, both civilian and enlisted, had any type of issues at that specific command post where she worked, they would go to her, you know, and she would investigate and deliver her findings and uh you know if if, if those employees were, were were done wrong she she would then take action and um like i said my father worked for general motors he was a he was a janitor for general motors for over 30 years and uh you know my childhood was was good initially you know my father was a uh a very complex man uh he was uh the type of person that would give you the shirt off off his back he was very well liked and uh, respected by uh, a lot of people, both friends and family. But with that being said, there was another side to him. I, I like to call him this, uh, he was this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type character, right, where he uh, he had a lot of issues that he did not deal with. And uh, come to find out after I became an adult, there was this intergenerational trauma energy that um, just went through our family uh, throughout generations, and because he didn't deal with a lot of a lot of issues he had, he didn't receive the proper healing that he needed at the time. He turned to alcohol, and he became an alcoholic. And um, he he was also a Marine as well. He spent four years in the Marines in the fifties, and he he went in when he was sixteen. Right now, obviously, you know, you have to be eighteen now, but uh, rules were were different uh, back wow. then. In fact, he might have he might have yeah he might have lied about his age actually. Now that I think about it, but. Uh, he was forced to go in the Marines, drop out of high school and go into the Marines because my grandmother became ill and he had a younger brother and my grandmother and his father wasn't around at the time and he uh he had to go in the Marines as a as a means to support his, his mother and his oh, brother. Oh my goodness. So he Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went off to boot camp and uh I believe it was uh North Carolina, South Carolina and um Paris Island, that's where it was. And he you know, he, he was in the service for four years, he toured the world and he would send money back home you know, to, to his mother. And she eventually, my grandmother eventually got over her illness and, and was better. But, you know, as a 16-year-old going into the service, especially in oh the 50s, goodness, yeah. it was a, yeah, it was it was very difficult, right, especially being a black man, especially being a black man. We're talking at a time, at a time in our country uh, where uh, it was much different, you know. We, obviously, yeah. we still deal with a lot of racism and discrimination now. It's just a different form 
compared to to the fifties. But uh, I'm talking about you know him being called all types of of, uh, of derogatory names, him being urinated on in his sleep, him being spat uh-huh. on throughout the day. And so this is a 16, 17, 18 year old, 18 year old young man going through this, and he developed this. Uh, this, this dark negative energy within, this hatred almost that he didn't know how to deal with. And after he got out the service, uh, he then began, you know, civilian life. And he still carried this, this energy along, this negative energy. And uh, it came a point when he was in his late 20s, early 30s, where he and his father fell out. They got into this horrible argument, and his father wound up uh, cutting him on his arm, you know. And they didn't speak for about 30-plus years. Uh, they finally, you know, reconciled. My father, my father transitioned. He passed on now in 2007. But um, before that happened, he, he went through this journey of sorts where he uh, reached out to everyone he felt in his heart he did wrong to and, and, uh, because he knew his, his time was limited. And, and my grandfather is one of those people. So they, they reconciled, which was a beautiful thing. But um, going back to my childhood, and I'll just say all that to, to give you uh, uh, just a, an example of, of what I experienced, right? Because everything he went through in his life, here we are. I'm a, a young child, and uh, my brother and I, as well as my mom, uh, because of his his issues and because of his alcoholism, etc. You know, we we that was taken out on us, right? He didn't know how to deal with that, so he became very abusive, both physically as well as psychologically. And I tell you what. I would have much rather dealt with the physical abuse than the psychological abuse because the psychological abuse takes much longer to heal from. Those scars, those wounds that I had on physically over my body, you know, those went away in a matter of weeks. But that psychological abuse is what uh, really had a, uh, a strong impact on my life. You know, um, he was the type of person growing up where he was very controlling, Right, he, his his mantra was a child is to be seen and not heard, you know. And, and again, he's this military guy, this 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 huge bravado, this huge ego, this this I can handle the world, I can take on the world, I can handle everything, I'm I'm in control, and and that's the way he was with with, with our family, my brother and my mother, and myself. Wow. And because because of that, you know, I did not have the opportunity to express myself. You know, I did not have the opportunity to learn how to communicate. I did not have the opportunity at a young age to learn critical thinking skills, you know, because he, he was very controlling. And so that caused me to become an introvert and to shut down and become a very shy, very quiet child, you know. Um, I, I lived in this fear, you know, of my father and, and, uh, and of others as well. Um, the earliest memory I, I the earliest thing I remember for myself as far as abuse was my parents, my father worked afternoons, my mom worked 8 to 5, my father worked like 3 to 11 at GM. And my brother and I, it was a period of time where my brother and I would be home by ourselves for a few hours before my mother arrived home from work. And I remember it was a summertime, and he told us, uh, he said, hey, you guys, don't go outside. I'm literally about five years old. My brother's like six or seven and he said, your mom, you guys know your mom will be home in a few hours. And uh, we said, all right, Dad. You know, and he, he left. So <laughs> i tell you what, about 10, 15 minutes after he left, we let that garage door up. We went outside, right in, right in front of the house on the sidewalk, playing with our friends. And we're, we were out there for about not even 10 minutes. And then we, we looked down to the corner. We see his, his big blue uh, Bonneville. Bonneville turned the corner <laughs> coming back to the house. Oh, and, my know, God. Start racing. <laughs> And we ran, we ran back in the house, and I tell you what, uh, you know, back in the day, the early 80s, uh, you know, they had those four-inch, five-inch thick leather belts with the big belt buckles. Oh, uh, yeah. Strip down to our trousers. Yeah, he made us Oh, my gosh. He just beat us, beat us for about 20, 30 minutes, you know. Oh, and uh, literally had, had welts all over our body. And uh, I, I remember at one point he took his belt and he uh, – he, he, wrapped it around my brother's neck and dragged him through the house for about two or three oh my minutes. Goodness. And, my, and my brother was just kicking and screaming and crying, and I ran into the room. And then soon after that, he came looking for me, and then I, I got it really bad. You know, and again, I'm five years old. He's six or seven, and he, he tortured us, you know, for a solid 20, 30 minutes. So that was, that was horrible. And then uh, my mom got it very bad as well. 
you know, they, their relationship started to break down. My mom was the breadwinner, and uh, my father had an issue with that. It was a pride thing because he thought being the man of the house and this big, strong, uh, burly Marine, former Marine, that he should be the breadwinner. And, you know, it was just, just one of those, those situations. And um, I used to beat her bad, and, you know, my brother and I witnessed that for, for a long time. And it came to a point one, one afternoon where they got into a bad argument, and he slapped her, and she fell down on the couch and uh, he was cussing her out, and then he ran into the kitchen and, and grabbed a knife. And when she saw him do this, uh, she ran out the house. You know, and, of course, my brother and I, we were freaking out, crying, running around the house, didn't know what to do. And uh, he went out looking for her. He, he did not find her, but then he came back in the house. And I vividly remember to this day, he went and grabbed the rest of the knives out of the kitchen, put it in a bag, and left out looking for her. And uh, he was gone for a very long time. It's, I believe it was probably maybe 30 minutes, but it felt like eternity. He never came back, but my mom, she came back, and she said, okay, okay, boys, we have to go. And she gathered, gathered me and my brother, my brother and I, and all of her, all of our belongings, and she said, hey, we're going to – I called the police. Uh, they're on their way. They're going to give us a ride down to uh, some local donut shop. As funny as that sounds. And she said, your sister, Regina, is going to pick us up, and we're going to go live with her and her family in Toledo, Ohio. Now, I thank God that my father was not able to locate my mother that, that afternoon. It was a Saturday afternoon. And I found out later, many years later, that he called my grandmother, and he said, Mom, I'm going to kill Eunice. She's disrespectful, and just going through these this matrix of issues why he was unhappy with her. And I thank God for my grandmother that she talked him down. She said, Jesse, don't do that. If you do that, I know you love your children, but think about your children. If you do that, your children will be without their mother as well as their father because you'll be going to prison for the rest of your life. And plus, I don't feel like raising your children. You know, you know, she was at that time in her 60s. She, so, you know, she she talked them down, thank God. We then moved to Toledo, Ohio, lived with my uh, my sister for some time. So, you know, I was out of school, and then we made that, that drama happen, which was a very traumatic experience. We then moved to Toledo House, and so now here I am in this new environment. Even though I knew my sister and her family, but it was it was different living with them. Starting a new school, having to start all over again, we eventually then moved into a, a, a different house. So I had to switch schools again, had to start all over again, you know. And then we're, again, we're talking about this quiet, introverted kid that didn't know how to communicate, didn't know how to deal with his feelings or emotions, didn't know how to express himself. So we, we were in Toledo, Ohio. And during that time, it was good, you know. Um, I remember life being being very, very very happy. I remember being happy, very happy during that time of my life. I was around more family. I had the opportunity to see my grandmother that much. Uh, I mean, a lot, I should say, um, during that time. We were in Toledo at that time, maybe for about two years. I think I saw my dad like once, maybe twice during that, that two-year period. And, and both times I saw him, it was a, it was a positive experience, right? Um, I remember he, he came from Michigan to, to Ohio and would bring my brother and I, I toy, uh, brother and I toys uh, a few times, and, and then, you know we went out with them. He took us somewhere, maybe Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. But it was a good positive experience living there, even though I had to go through this situation of having to start over. But it was positive. So from there, right around, uh, wow, I think I was in third grade, second grade, second grade. We then moved back to Michigan because at this time my mom got a new job in Michigan. Uh, and she was working for Oakland County. So she, be, she was the, the county, uh, worked for the county executive. She was EEO officer for Oakland County. And so we, we moved to Michigan, and then I had to start a new school, started all over again. I think I went through a total of like 10 schools, and that's from kindergarten to, to, to 12th grade. You know, it, it was a lot, you know, obviously, having to start all over and new beginnings, et cetera. But um, we started a new school. So this time we moved to an area in Sterling Heights, we were the only blacks, I want to say, definitely in the entire school, maybe maybe even the entire city, definitely, and then there were no other blacks in our neighborhood. So this is a, a new experience for me because we have always been around people that look like that look like us, right? And uh, I, I tell you what, though, when we started that school, the principal, who was a white lady, she was very nice, and she gave us a tour of school, and she said, she told, I remember her telling my mom, Mrs. Williams, 
uh, you, obviously your, your kids are going to be only people of color in the school, but I assure you that I will support them and I will make sure that they are treated fairly. And, and, and we were for the most part. Now, we did have some experiences with kids that uh, called us out our name and gave us some trouble, and, and that was new to us, right? I know our parents had always talked about racism and discrimination. And in fact, that's what my mom did. She stood up for people that didn't have a voice, and she was the type of uh, person in her entire career that just, you know, equal rights, you know, civil rights. That's what she, that's what she did. So um, it was a new experience, and that that, that kind of changed my mindset and, and, and opened my eyes to a bit to how the world is and how people can be. And, and so something in, inside of me, something was implanted inside of me at that, at that point. Again, being told about how people can treat you because of the color of your skin is one thing, but it's another thing to actually experience that. So that had a dramatic shift or a dramatic pivot in my life, even though I didn't know it at the time, which led to me doing what I do today. But... Um, we, we lived in Sterling Heights, and then we moved to Southfield, you know, and we had previous, this was the city we lived in previously when um, I was, you know, from when we first moved to Michigan up until about six years old, and Southfield was a melting pot of people, right? He, you know, we he, I went to school with uh, uh, a lot of black people, a lot of white people, a lot of Jewish people, some some Indians, some, uh, just, a, just, a, just a melting pot, and, but my father came back into my life at that time, because him and my mom, they tried to work it out, and actually it was more of a business relationship type thing, if anything. But he came back into my life, and, uh, you know, I tell you what, middle school, sixth through eighth grade was, excuse my, excuse my language, it was hell. It really was. Uh, this is a point where my father, he got deeper into his alcoholism, and, again, uh, the healing factor had not taken place in his life and he was very, very abusive, very psychologically abusive. Um, my my home during my time in middle school was very, very dysfunctional, very, very chaotic, a lot of chaos and confusion. And as a young boy, all I wanted was love. All I wanted was a family, you know. I, I, I longed for that that situation, that family situation that I had when I was two, three, four, five years old before all the all the drama started before my parents separated back back in the day. But uh, I remember one night my father, he it was the summertime, my father told me to uh, make sure I take a shower before he came home for work because, again, he worked afternoon. So he would get home like right around midnight. And, you know, I, I hadn't taken a shower. I was out playing with my friends all day and, you know, playing video games and whatnot. And I remember him pulling up in the driveway and I looked out the window, and my heart started to race because I knew I hadn't did what he told me to do. So he walks in the house, and the very first thing he asked me, he said, Justin, did you, did you shower like I told you to? I said, no, Dad, I did not. So he, he grabbed me by my ear and pulled me into the bathroom, and he turned on the, the hot water in the bathroom uh. sink, and he then grabs me by the neck and pushes my head under the water. And, you know, it just have all this water rolling down my, my, my head and my face. And then he used to use this product. It's called, uh, I think it's called V8 Hot Oil Treatment. He used to use it in his hair. You know, now with this product, you're, to, you're supposed to warm it up before you put it in your hair. And you're supposed to just run it under, like, warm or hot water. He took the oil vials and boiled them on the kitchen stove. And so it's this hot boiling oil in these vials and then when it was ready, he he grabbed me by the head again, put my seat under the water, and poured that hot oil all over uh, my head, and and it it burned the crap out of my oh skin. my goodness, you know, obviously. And I'm hollering and I'm screaming. I'm saying, "Daddy, Daddy, please stop, please stop." And then you know he's then he's washing it out my head, and then he lets go of my neck, and then I, I just dropped to the floor, and I couldn't cry, I couldn't let that emotion out. Because, again, to him, that was a sign of weakness. So I had to hold that in. And he said, now, get your ass in the shower. And then so I wow. got up, turned the water on, got undressed, got in the shower. And then once I got in the shower, I just couldn't hold it any longer. I just, I just, it just came out. And I just remember showering and, and just, just crying and crying and crying. And I, I, I tried to stay in that shower as long as I could. You know, typically what a shower is what anywhere from five, maybe to ten minutes, if you will. I, I was probably in that shower for about 20 minutes because I didn't want to come out. I was crying. I was very emotional. I didn't want to face him again. 
And, uh, you know, again, another very, very traumatic experience. But uh, that that was bad. Uh, and, you know, yeah, you know, just, you know, know I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm listening to you, Justin, and um, bless you, bless you, bless you. This is another reason why, and God bless your mother, but I, I, I as an adult, saw it. When you pick uh, somebody you're going to be in a relationship with, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you could be potentially picking your child's parent. And so even if they don't treat you well, you got to really, and I'm not saying nothing to, to uh, I'm not having people in my family that my great-grandmother went through that with my great-grandfather, and then the alcohol was there as well. But you you got to be, you, think about even your unborn child. This is your unborn child's parent. And sometimes the people are very, uh, very charming, but when you told the story about your dad having to go into the military at 16, I'm thinking he had a lot of pressure put on him. Who knows what all he went through that he never told, because at 16, how many parents would tell their kids they go into the military to send money back home? So it's just the whole whole thing. I mean, bless you, bless you, bless you if you did do the work to – and then helping others. But when you were a kid, all you went through, did you have, like, dreams of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you say, I want to, when I grew up, I want to go in the military, I want to be a doctor? What did, you, did you have a dream of wanted you, what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I was, I was heavily involved in sports as a kid, uh, specifically football. And I have three older brothers and, you know, all of my, I'm the youngest of the family, youngest of six. And so I have three older brothers and, and, and two older sisters. And all of my brothers played football in high school and two of them uh, played in college. And then one was, was fortunate enough to, to spend a little time playing professionally. So I, I idolized my, my brothers and I wanted to do what they did, right, being the youngest. And I was, I was really good in football, extremely good in football. So my dream was to be a professional football player. You know, that that was my dream. I played, uh, you know, Little League football and uh, played football in high school as well for a few years. And I had dreams of playing college football and then eventually going on playing professionally. Uh, but, but, you know, obviously that didn't happen for, for various reasons. Um, you know, during that period after middle school, obviously I started high school. And when I started high school, my father was not around, you know. And, and, and let, me, let me say one thing as well. You know, I, I say a lot about my father, but at the same time, a lot of the things he did, I should say, but at the same time, I'm very thankful for him, and I'm very thankful for each and every experience that I had with him. You know, um, again, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character, even though he was very abusive, there was another side to him. As odd as it may sound, he, was a, he could be a very loving man, right? And he taught me, wow. he taught us about love. He, he introduced love to not only, you know, my, myself and my brother, but my mother as well, as well as her, her first four kids because uh, he was, uh, she had been married previously and had her first four and then married my father and had two, and, and they didn't know about love. So, you know, I, I grew up in this family, even though it was this chaotic situation, you know, I grew up in the family where we, we were constantly telling each other we love you and I love you and, and, and hugs and things like that. So it was like, I, I, I experienced both sides of the spectrum, right, the chaotic, the drama, the confusion. And, but also it was this other side that he introduced, this love. And he taught me a lot about being, being a man, even though he expected me to be a man at 9, 10, 11 years old. He had these very high expectations, you know, that, you know, I wasn't able to meet, obviously, because I wasn't a man. That would frustrate him. But he taught me a lot of good lessons, a lot of good values about about self and being a man and, and being responsible and, and handling and taking care of your business. And uh, but but once I started high school, you know, he, he wasn't around. You know, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I literally probably saw my father a handful of times during during the four years of high school from like fourteen to eighteen. And my mom, you know, she she was heavily involved in the church, and it still is to this day. But um, and then, of course, working a full time job, and then she had a, she had a lot of uh, community commitments as well. She was part of a lot of organizations like the ACLU, things like that, doing doing things um, to to uh, bring a better life to to our people. And so mm-hmm. that left, and without that that uh, that male figure in my life, 
you know, my brother and I, we, we just we just ran wild in high school. We got involved in, in drinking and, and a lot of heavy marijuana use and, um, you know, just running the streets of Detroit, you know, if you will, just doing things, you know, and um, we, we didn't have anyone to, to, to say, hey, you know, this is this is what you what you need to do, um, and, and you know, God bless my mom. She, she's a wonderful person, but she, from being very transparent with you, she she didn't know how to handle us. She didn't know what to do with us, and we, we needed a we needed that male figure, you know, in, in our life to to really, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to stop, you know, because you know it was a respect thing. Now we respected our mom, but we respected our dad a whole lot more, you know, because of, because of the type of person he was. Now I did have one of my older brothers. He he lived with us for a time, but then he moved because he was dealing with some of his own issues. Uh, but high school we we ran wild, and and I say all that to say that derailed my dream of becoming a professional football player, right? Um, and and soon after high school, when I was nineteen, I became a father. I became a father at a very young age, you know, and. Uh, I tell people all the time, even though I became a young father, my, my firstborn son, I have a total of three children now, but my, that my firstborn, he he was definitely my saving grace, you know, and because I was doing things and, and into things and, and running the streets and all types of things. But when he was born, it, it's like the light bulb went off, and I knew that I had to be there for him, and I knew that I had to change my ways and, and settle down. So he having him really grounded me. And, uh, you know, he, his mother and I, we, we dated for a few years, and then we, we, we separated. We broke up. You know, we never married. And um, once he, he – was, he was back and forth between her, her home and, and my home for uh, the first few years of his life. But then when he started kindergarten at five years old, he came to live with me full time. So I was a single father for many years before – uh, I married my wife. My wife and I, we married in, in 2007. We've been married uh, about, what, 15 years now. But I was a single father for many years. Yeah, and uh, but that that was like, that was one of the best things that happened to me, having my son. Wow, what a blessing, what a blessing. Now, I definitely want to talk about this. How old were you when you had the near-death experience, and how long were you out of your body and then I want to ask you how that experience changed your core beliefs. Yes, yes, yes. So this was uh, when I was a young child. I was about three, maybe four years old. And uh, this is when I, you know, lived with both my parents in, in Southfield. And I became, I, w- I was sick, you know. I, my, my, mother, my mother says that I, I was, was very sick. And she left out for work one morning. Before she left out to, for work, she came in my room, gave me to check on me. She gave me a kiss on the head and, and the cheek, and said, "Baby, I love you. I'll see you. See you later on this afternoon." And so she leaves out, and she was gone for about fifteen fifteen minutes or so. She forgot something. This is just God at work, right? She forgot something, so she said, "Oh, I forgot something. I need to turn around and go back home." So she comes back in the house, and when she comes, she comes to check on me again. In that time period of about 10 minutes, my face turns completely purple, and my eyes were, were rolled in the back of my head. Okay, oh, wow. so, yeah, and so she, and she she yelled, and she screamed. She said, Jesse, she called my father. She said, come here, look at Justin, look at Justin. Something's going on. And so they rushed me down to uh, Children's Hospital. We walked in the front door. And I, I tell you what, as soon as we walked in the door, it was this nurse there. My mom said it was a, a Philippi, little Filipino nurse. And she looked at me, and she said, he has pneumonia. We must hurry. We must wow. Hurry. So they take me back immediately to the to an operating room. The doctor had to make an incision on the side right underneath the rib cage. They stuck a tube up into my lungs and drained all the fluid off my lungs. And the doctor told my parents if it would have been maybe 10, 15 more minutes, I would not have made it. So I was on the brink. I was right there. I was right, right there. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. After that experience in the hospital where, where the, the medical staff literally saved my life, my mom, she, she went looking for that nurse, that, that nurse that met us as soon as we walked in the door there. And and she started speaking to the staff in, in the emergency room area in the hospital. And she said, well, where's the lady, you know, that, that met us when we came in? You know, where is she at? And there's, there's no, they told her there's nobody that, that works there. 
<laughs> that you're wow. describing. Her. We don't have a, a Asian or a Filipino lady. No sight of her, no trace of her whatsoever. And I know without doubt to this day, and I will know this forever, that that was an angel. That was somebody that wow. the Most High God, the Father, sent on mission to assist me and my family in that moment. Without doubt, I know it. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I don't remember much of that experience. The only thing I remember is I do remember being in the hospital. I was in the hospital for at least a solid week after that. But I remember, the only thing I remember is walking by a play one where they had a lot of toys. I just remember telling my mom, I want to go in there. I just remember going in there playing with the toys after after several days, after I regained my strength, you know. Um, so I was able to walk a little bit and, uh, you know, <laughs> went in there and oh, played wow. with the other kids, which is, which is really great. But going back to your question in regards to, to how that affected me on, a, on another level, Everything I've experienced in my life, and I may have said it previously, I have no regrets, and I accept everything I experience, all the traumatic events, all the chaos, and I know without a shadow of a doubt in my heart of hearts that I had to experience those things in order for me to gain certain knowledge and certain wisdom, right? And not only that, I am of the belief, and this may sound a little off the wall to a lot of people, right, but my life, I've always been on this spiritual journey like like we all have, right, but my life, like a lot of people, took a hard pivot in 2020, right, went into a totally different direction. And I started learning about different things and, and, and archangels and manifestation, right, and, and how we can manifest Anything we want to be, it kind of ties into what you said during your intro. It really made me think, and it was wonderful what you said when you said it is already August. It seems like January was just here, and it's not too late. You told your audience it's not too late to, to, to manifest or to make changes or do what you want to do, but you said it's not going to happen. It's not just going to drop in. And this is not verbatim, verbatim, but you said you have to work for it. Nothing magical is going to happen. You have to work for it. And that really struck a chord with me because – to me, that's a form of manifestation. Now, not only I truly believe, in fact, I truly know, <laughs> not only do we manifest while we're here because we are truly the authors, authors of our reality, but before we even get here, we have the ability to create our reality, our experiences. And, I kind of, and I'll tell you why I believe that in a bit, because I've had some phenomenal experiences over the last two years, out-of-body experiences from meditating and, and doing things such as participating in the ayahuasca ceremony, which kind of ripped the veil off of, off of, off of this reality and, and, and going into the spiritual world and such. But Oh, again, wow. Just, You're taking us down <laughs> a little bit of a, of a matrix. That movie, The Matrix, <laughs> you're seeing them do all this stuff. I know it's a movie, yeah. but somebody wrote it. It's telling you that all these so-called physical experiences are really only happening in your mind, and, and which is really kind of. Then you go, well, well, what, what are we really then? If, oh. if, it's, if what are we really then? Can you give off-the-shelf listeners an overview of in the eye your book, in the eye of the Father? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's it's, it's my memoir, so it's a, a history. Of, of my life, right, from, from when I was a little kid up until the present day. And um, I, I made the decision to write the book in 2020. Now, on the back cover of the book, it reads, In the Eye of the Father. And then the first sentence reads, The first step of understanding who we will become comes at the death of who we were. So I, I tell about my experience going through a, a spiritual death and a rebirth Right, and, and it ties into to 2020 after I went on furlough at my job, and I'm sitting at home like millions of people around the world, and I began meditating and began um, doing things to overcome fear, trials, and tribulations. So it's my story of victory, of challenges, of wisdom, of understanding, and even writing this book was very therapeutic for me, right? And it, it helped me along in my healing process because all of these stories that I, I wrote in my book, I had to relive them in a different way that I, I had never done before. 
And so what I imagine and what it has done, based off feedback that I've received from people that have read the book, is it's been somewhat of a template, right? Meaning regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you experience in life, regardless of any trials, any tribulations that you experience, the one thing that is promised to us is our universal birthright is that we can change, that we each, each and every one of us has everything within us, every tool. The Father has gifted us with every tool within to restart, to hit the restart button. Every day that we wake up, we have an opportunity to make it different or better than the previous day. Now, that's not easy. Trust me, it is not easy, but it can be done. But it just takes a conscious decision for people to say, hey, I need help with healing. I need to go in a different direction in my life. I need, I need love. Whatever it is you need, it is there, right? And we, we have all these wonderful tools that, have been, that we've been blessed with, right, whether it be um, tools such as sitting and speaking with a therapist, um, tools of learning about meditation, tools of really taking the programming that we've received from when we came into this, this world and stripping that back and learning about self. And there have been certain things put into place because certain people, certain maybe, I don't want to say governments, but certain people, certain individuals throughout history, they do not want us to know about self. And it's a lot of things that, that Christ talked about that we read about in the Bible regarding what Christ talked about in, in other, other religions as well, just not Christianity, right? But in the eye of the Father, a memoir of faith and redemption is a, is a book that can be used as a template for each and every person to reach their highest level of human potential, regardless of whatever they experience in life. Now, do, do we, do we, now the scriptures say, you know, it's impossible to please God or a source without faith. From your experience, have you found this to be not just to please our creator, but that you need faith? We would need faith to fulfill our destiny. Is that absolutely like? There's no way around it. You have to you have to have faith to fulfill your destiny. And if so, why why do you think this is so? Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure that I I agree with that. You know, um, the, the father that I know, and just to give you a little background of myself, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my my, my mom, she you know was heavily involved in church, still is. She's a licensed evangelist, so I was one of those kids as a young kid that that went to church three three four times a week, right? We were raised uh, Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal, and uh, you know, my my beliefs about how I view God are much different today than they were just three, four, five years ago. And the, the, the father, the, the source that I have a relationship with this day is a unbelievable, high-vibrating source of love. So when you talk about not being able to please God without faith, I, 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 don't, I say I don't agree with that because I've had experiences in my life where my faith was weak or, and, and I even let go of God. But that, that love and, and him just orchestrating different things and events in my life to bring me to where I am today, it, it's very hard for me to say, oh, I can't please God. I think God is pleased with us regardless, you know. Mm-hmm. Now where faith comes in, and, and that's just the love of God, and it's, it's really a love that, that we are unable to comprehend. See, we, right. we kind of look at things, we, we have a tendency to look at things through the, through the lens of, of humans, which, which that's who we are. But God is, is much greater than just a human, right? So he, his lens is much different than ours. So we have very limited understanding when it comes to, to things such as that, you know. And then when we talk about faith, and, and, and obviously I wrote this book starting in 2020, and, and obviously a part of the title is A Memoir of Faith and Redemption. My beliefs have shifted from a, from a, from a faith standpoint to a knowing, right? It's not even, you know, because when I, when I think of faith, I think I'm hoping and I'm wishing. No, 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 no. I know I know this. I know that. I know who I am. I know what was in store for me. And this mindset has allowed me to fulfill some of my greatest dreams and, 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 and manifest some, some things that have happened to me that go beyond my wildest imagination. It really has. And, and this is when I talk about, 
you know, creating or starting my podcast in December of 2020 or even something like writing my book, you know, and, and, and just going back to how I explained how I, I grew up this introverted person who had issues communicating and expressing himself, I carried a lot of that into my adulthood as well. So I've gone through a lot of healing and a great amount of healing within the last two years. And, and starting a podcast was the last thing that I would ever do, right? Because I'm, hey, I'm not putting myself out there. I'm not going to, you know, invite these guests on my show and communicate. But the spirit moved me and pushed me to that. So here I am, and it's been very successful, right? I talk about raising consciousness and reaching human potential. I talk about social issues. I've been blessed. Like, you know, some of the people I've had on my show, you know, like Robert Kennedy Jr., um, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Christian Northup, Tommy Chong. I mean, God has, has, has pushed me to be able to do this, to, to give back to people and, and, and bring awareness to people. And then I started my nonprofit, Tangelic, and this is uh, an organization that helps marginalized people and people that have, have gone through traumatic experiences in their life. And my thing with that is, is helping them restore their purpose because we all have a purpose, but a lot of times we, we, fall, we fall off track. But so I'm helping people restore their purpose. And I, I do um, a lot of outreach work with the homeless as well in my area, and I partner with other organizations in my area to do that, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to help people, homeless people that are in need. And there's this big thing going on, which are called homeless sleeps, that are horrible things going on, going on uh, across the country. So now our initiative is to fight that you know, where these police departments are going into these homeless encampments and pushing people out and throwing all their, their belongings away and making them even further displaced. You know, it's, it's a horrible thing. Um, so, so, you know, I, I say all that to say I went from a, a faith mindset to a knowing mindset. I have my goals to say, I know this is what I'm going to do, right? And, and all these things that I say I know I'm going to do have come to fruition. They're, they're happening. You know, and, and that is just one of the many gifts, the many tools that, that, that's inside all of us to be able to step into our purpose and, and live our dreams, you know. But a lot of this, these things we haven't been told. We've been programmed to believe, oh, you got you to, gotta, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, which is fine. And, and I don't, you know, knock anybody for doing that. I, I did that myself for, for many a years, right, and we're all on our special journey. Right? There's no, you know, it's no one way to it. God loves us all. You know, but I'm just expressing what works for me and what has enabled me to become the man I am today, you know, in, 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 in regards to stepping into my purpose and serving humanity because, really, that's all it comes down to. You know, it's all love-based, just giving back. And, and I'm, I'm doing the Father's mission without, without doubt. So, and, 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 that is, and, and that is such a blessing. I know you... Blessings so many, but for our listeners who, and thank you for sharing your your earlier experiences. From our listeners who may have been captivated by what you shared earlier, they may have had similar experiences that they didn't want to share ever with anybody, but listener, you may have helped free them up a little bit. But now talking about getting into your destiny, fulfilling what your purpose here, uh, can you share some, some steps, some tools, people can use to help to even even I've I've met people who told me they never they don't even know why they're here in this earth. They're in their fifties, they're like, I have no clue. So is there a way, do you have any tools or to even become aware of what your your specific not a general every human, but a specific what your specific destiny is and then some tools for people to start to manifest their destiny. Absolutely. So the very first thing that, that I, I know that, that people need to do to, to accomplish that is to get to know thyself, right? That's the biggest thing. People need to know who they are and what they are. And, and what that is is we're all very powerful spirits, right? We're, we, I mean, we, we have these bodies, but we are literally we are literally spirits because once, as we know, once these bodies fade away, we, we live on forever in, in another place. And we, we, we are all a part of the creator, so we are all one with the Father. And so we are all very, very powerful spirits, right? And we talk about working on self. You know, a lot of us have, especially in our community, a lot of us have a lot of unresolved, unhealed issues that we must deal with, 
right? I think healing is the first step. And that calls for people to be very vulnerable. You have to be very vulnerable. You have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, these are areas within that I need to change. You know, it, it calls for a bit of uh, a death of the ego. And I, I don't know, maybe not death of the ego. Maybe that's not the, the best term because the ego serves its purpose as well. It's a time and place for the ego. But when we start that initial track of, of healing, we, we have to let that ego, let that pride down a bit and begin that healing process. Because as we know, as, as a people, we've gone through a lot of, a lot of trauma, right? So we, a lot of us have this, um, this intergenerational trauma, which is simply a, a very low vibrating negative energy that flows through our families and we pass it along to our children and they pass it along to their children. So the first step is healing from all that. And it calls for be, becoming very vulnerable, right? You have to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I need to change. I want a better life. I want my purpose. I want to find out who I am and, and stepping into my purpose. And then I also recommend people to start meditating. Okay, this is, was huge for me and huge for a lot of people I know that I've helped along my journey, along my path for the last couple of years here. You know, praying is great. You know, continue to pray. But I'm talking meditation. I'm talking about getting alone in a sacred place, a sacred space where it's just you and the Father, right? Like for me, it's my closet, right? And I build an altar in my closet as well. So there are these meditations that are guided, and there are some that are not guided as well. And the, and, they're, and they call they use what are called binaural beats, and and it's a hemisync meta, uh, meditation as well. There, there are many of them on YouTube. And just to break that down real quick, uh, binaural beats and hemisync meditations, when you use your your AirPods or your earbuds and play one from YouTube, it sends a, a sound wave into your left ear, a different one into your right ear. And then when they go into your brain, if you will, for lack of a better term, they, they then create or form another sound wave. So you have essentially three sound waves now connecting to your brain, and what that does, that sinks the left and right brain. And then from there, it puts ah. you in this amazing, this, um, this amazing state of relaxation and allows you to relax into a deep state, and then it helps you clear your mind, and, 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 and it gets you away from all your worries, all the, the problems, anything that you, you, you have going on, right? It's just you and your mind. And, of course, the Father's there as well as well as his divine beings, right? And then you clear your mind, and then you just listen. You just listen. And I tell you what, things will come to you. But first, before you even do that, though, and I should have said this first, you have to set your intention for what it is you want to receive during that meditation session. You have to set your intention, and you have to ask the Father. You have to ask the angels what it is that you would like to receive, and ask humbly, and then thank them, and then say, may your will be done, and then you start that meditation. Now, some things may happen when you, when you begin this meditation journey, right, like it has for me and many others, and I've, I've had out-of-body experiences. When you talk about going to the astral, astral plane or, 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 or going to other dimensions and seeing other entities and things like this, this stuff is very real, people. It is very real. I kid you not. But these are tools that we have been gifted with to be able to do these things. And that, and you can get things from the spiritual world to then implement in your life to help you with healing and to guide you to realize your purpose because your purpose is there. You, you know, it, it's there. You just have to, you have to go get it and you have to know how to get it, right? Like every, you know, everything that happens in the spirit, everything that happens in this world starts in the spiritual world. It's there. Like when you, when, when you think of ideas and inventions and things that people invent and ideas that these people come up with, it, it's nothing new, as it says in the Bible. It's nothing new under the sun. They're out there in another realm, in the spiritual world. But you have to know and you have to be willing to tap into that, to get that, that idea or that invention or, or that healing or that, that feeling of, 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 of justice, liberation, or that peace that we all long for is out there. But you have to be willing to do these things to get it, and you have to be very vulnerable to get it. And you, one of the biggest things you have to do as well is to know how to deal with fear. That was the game changer for me right there. Because remember, I grew up in fear, dealing with a lot of trauma, chaos, and confusion. But then once I learned how to deal with fear 
and not let it control me but control it, that, that was like, that changed my life forever. Like, I realized wow. that fear is, a, fear is a bully. And then once, once that clicked, I said, oh, I'm not going to be bullied by anybody. You know, and now one thing that helped me do it, I don't recommend it for everybody because it's not for everybody. I was skydiving in 2020, and that was probably one of the most challenging things I ever had to do in my life. But that taught me so much that changed my life forever. It, it, it changed the trajectory of my life forever. And like I always tell people, God places the very, the very best things in life on the other side of fear. Don't avoid wow. it. Don't try to go around it. You have to go through it. But that calls for being vulnerable, and that calls for having courage and just know, not the faith, but just know that your experience on the other side of, uh, of fear is going to be life-changing. Because remember, wow, God yeah. loves us all. He wants the best yeah. for us all. Oh, my goodness. We're coming down to like five minutes left in the show. Thank you for everything you're sharing. Just to recap the steps you, you shared uh, based on your experiences and how to know your destiny and step into it. You said you can lose these, for our listeners who are interested, these binaural beats, and you said you can get them right off of YouTube. And I guess it's just like a sound or uh, – and then you – you set your intention, you say what it is you want, and then you say, thy will be done. Then you start your meditating, your meditation, and accept what, accept what comes. Another thing, a tip I would share is to pay attention to your dreams. You might even write your dreams down because yes. they, can, they can come yes. with, 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 with messages as well. So that's one Absolutely. way. Would you recommend... Uh, somebody who might need help, they might need to be healed from trauma. They might themselves be very violent or volatile. Should they get healing before they start this meditating practice? Well, it, it's kind of it's, it's kind of like a, a two for one, right? It, I, I I know it's it's a they kind of merge together, but you know I, I recommend meditation for anyone, regardless at what stage they're at in their journey, because that meditation can definitely help you during that healing process. Now, the, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, you, you definitely want to get your, get your help, whether that, you know, you know maybe, you know, talking to, to somebody, a therapist, or, or, or anything along those lines. But meditation is, it, it, it does something to the spirit. It, it, it takes us to a place where we, where we started. And I'm not talking about when we came into this world. I'm talking about before we even got here. You know, because again, we are all one with the Father. So I say that to say, or to give our give your listeners a, bit, a better understanding. You know, there is no ending or begin with beginning with God, right? He He just is, right? And so if He is just He is, we are just He is too. So we've been with Him. Our spirits have been with Him since for forever. You know, forever. We we are literally, and, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but we are we are. We are, in a sense, we're, we're, we're God having a human experience because we are one with the Father. And I'm just not saying we are gods. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is it's like imagine a tree and, you, and, and all these branches on the tree, right? Now, the, God is the entire tree, and he is the base, he is the trunk. But we're all his children with each branch and leaves flowing from that tree. And each branch, each leaf is having an individual experience, if that, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But it, for, for people, some of us, our backgrounds, this it might be mm-hmm. more easier for some to digest than others. But at some point, we all are mm-hmm. going to awaken. I mean, it's going to happen for all of us. Um, so we, yes, we are really. Yes. I've enjoyed today's show. We have like less than two minutes to go. If you can share very, very quickly three to four steps that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books. Number one, and then if you could also let our listeners know where they can get a copy of In the Eye of the Father. Absolutely, absolutely. So effective steps I've taken to get my word up about my book, obviously it's through my podcast. Um, I'm on, you know, the Hidden Gateway podcast, and I, I do a lot of advertising for my podcast and kind of tie my book in there as well. I have the website, as you mentioned early on, the Hidden Gateway dot com. I advertise my book on there. I'm on social media. I do a ton of advertising. Um, I have a I have a following on there, and I talk to people. I communicate with people all the time. I have business cards where I'm out and about in the streets doing my charity work. I'm talking to people. 
and I'm, I'm just have that constant, constant engagement with people. I have a team as well uh, that, that, that I'm contracted with that helps me do that as well, but uh, really online. Um, you know, in the Eye of the Father memoir, Faith and Redemption can be found uh, on Amazon. You know, it can definitely be found there. Um, I, I currently reside in the Phoenix area. And my book is also, if, if any of your listeners are in the Phoenix area, I have my book in a, in a few bookstores out here as well. But definitely Amazon is, is where it can be found. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've been blessed to have Justin Williams. He is the author of In the Eye of the Father. And as I always tell you, if you came in midstream because you had something to do earlier, no worries. Once the show finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety and share it with those you think might be interested in it or might benefit from it. He is, again, the author of the uh, In the Eye of the Father, Justin, and his last name is spelled J-E-S-S-T-O-N, Justin Williams. He's online at thehiddengateway.com, T-H-E-H-I-D-D-E-N-G-A-T-E-W-A-Y.com. Thank you, Justin, for being here with us on this Saturday, and thank you to all of our off-the-shelf listeners. As I always tell you, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Justin, I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Yeah.